since we're not going to do a midrash today, what I thought I would do is combine uh, teaching with a message. One of the things I want to talk about today is that the gospel is fundamental to the Torah. The gospel is not an add-on that happened in New Testament time. It's from the absolute beginning. And one of the things that is not obvious but is true is Hebrew names all have a meaning. So, for example, Joel, Joel, Yael, Jehovah is God. So Hebrew names have meanings. So when you see a list of names, one of the things that you can do if you speak Hebrew or have access to a good Hebrew root dictionary, which I do, don't speak Hebrew, but I got access to a dictionary, is you can look up the actual names, and very often the names will form a sentence. For example, the 12 tribes of Israel are always listed in different order. Each of the 12 tribes has a different meaning. So it is entirely possible to take those and you get a different sentence each time. So what I want to do is I want to take you through the genealogy, starting with Adam, going to Noah, show you what the words mean, and then show you what the sentence says. By the way, in order for this to work, you need a good Hebrew root dictionary. You will not get all of these out of your Strong's Concordance. Understand that. If you go back and look in Strong's, some of them will say, wait a minute, that isn't what that means. If you go to the Hebrew root, the Shorish, and you look at the pictograms, that is in fact what it means. Check them out myself. The first one is Adam, and Adam, of course, means man. Whose image is Adam made in? God's image. And it specifically says Adam has a son in his image. Not God's image, but Adam's image. And that name is Seth. And you will see in the scripture that Hava says, God has appointed me a son to replace Hevel, who got killed by his brother. So Seth means appointed. Enosh is the next one, and that means mortal. This one, by the way, you will not find in your Strong's. You have to go to a root dictionary to get this one. So Enosh means mortal. Kenan, who's the next one, means sorrow. Mahalalel means the beloved God. Great name. Yared means come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. And you've been around for a while, you know that when Methuselah dies, the flood comes. So as soon as Methuselah dies, God wipes the place out. So you can imagine how nervous people were about young Methuselah every time he caught a cold. <laughs> Just saying. And then Lamech means despair. And finally, Noah means rest. And in Genesis 5.28, which Luke read this morning, when Lama could live 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. What the rabbis say about that, and do this whatever you like, is Noah invented the plow. Because remember, the ground was cursed because of the sin of Adam. And one of the things that happens when Cain kills his brother, 
is God says the earth will no longer yield its strength to you. So the idea of having a plow is a big deal. Now, I can't figure out why it took them a couple thousand years to come up with a plow, but that's what the rabbis say. So, if you take that and you put it into a sentence, man is appointed mortal sorrow. The beloved God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. Does that sound like the gospel to you? It does to me. So, people who say that the gospel is a New Testament thing are just full of nonsense because the gospel has been baked in to the Torah from the very first book. It has always been God's plan. Now, I don't know who said this, probably a rabbi, but I don't know right off the top of my head. One of the reasons God brought the flood is because Noah invented the plow. In other words, the whole purpose of this first was to get people to turn to God, and of course, they didn't, because the desires of their hearts were only evil continually. Do with that whatever you want. That is not biblical. So, the point I want to talk about is this word teaching. And the idea is God comes down teaching. And God has come down teaching three times. Has he not? The first time he came down teaching was at Sinai. So he comes down on the top of the mountain and he teaches Moses. And he gives Moses the Torah, which means not law, but teaching and instruction. So the first time God comes down teaching is at Sinai. And at that point, God does not die. The second time God comes down teaching is at Bethlehem when Yeshua is born. And what did Yeshua do? He took his disciples and he taught them. He instructed them. He interpreted the word of God for them. And he did die. So God came down teaching and his death should bring the despairing comfort. That's the death we're talking about is Yeshua. The third time God came down teaching is Pentecost or Shavuot in the upper room. And that's when the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. And if you look at John chapter 16 and verse 13, talking about the Holy Spirit, it says, He will guide you into all truth. So a fundamental thing that God does with humanity is teaches. And of course, the purpose of the teaching is to move us from our evil ways, which started off with the first guy, and move us toward something that he is going to be pleased with. So it's a fundamental thing, teaching. Now, one of the things I have said many times, and I will say again, is the Bible is essentially a set of case studies. So all of the history in the Bible and the prophecies are basically case studies that God has caused to be written in his scripture to teach us something. That's how I read the Bible. What am I supposed to learn from this? So you got two parts of it. First off, you've got a simple recital of what happened. The Babylonians came and destroyed Judah. 
That's a simple recitation of what happened. And there's enough detail in there so you can cross-check it with secular history or anything you want to do and you recognize that the Bible is in fact history. In fact, that's the thing that got me believing in the Bible. I think I've told most of you many times. I didn't come to the belief until I was in my 40s. And the thing that brought me to belief is we had a Episcopal priest come up on a summer vacation with a three-day pass and a briefcase. He was writing a book and what he did is he taught us about the Old Testament using a topographic map. And me being a military engineer, I could look at the map and I could see the story and I said, wow, if I was going to fight a battle, that's where I'd do it. And the way they fought it makes great sense if you lay it out on the terrain. So that convinced me that I was dealing with history something that was true and of course then I said well, well shoot if that's true what else is true and that's what launched me into a study of scripture so the Bible has the history but it also has the prophecies which explain why the history is happening so what you have in the Bible is you have the recital of the events but then you've got this look into the spiritual world where God explains to you why the events are happening. That's what makes the book so unique and so valuable to us. Of course, people don't change, so all of the stuff that they did, we do. And one of the things you can see in the country today is we are, in fact, <laughs> great tweets. I have no idea who sent it. I just I have a, various aggregators which send me stuff. Some guy said, you know, the great thing about being a Christian in a time of moral decline is you get to be a rebel while being good. Kind of like that. thought that was actually pretty good, and it applies certainly to our times. Now, in order for someone to be taught, the student has to be interested. Anybody ever been a teacher and you've got somebody in the class that couldn't care less, staring off into space, and you say something and you just watch your words bounce off the back of his head and come back at you with no comprehension there whatsoever. Such a person is not interested. So in order for teaching to take, the student has to be interested. And what we have right now in our society is the gospel is answering a question that most people are not asking. In other words, they're not interested. So the question becomes, how do you get their attention? And there's an old joke about how do you train a mule? First thing you do is walk up to him with a two-by-four and smack him in the head. Okay, now that I've got your attention, we can start learning. It's an old joke. In fact, it goes from the army days when they actually had mules that carried ammunition and stuff. And there's lots of stories about mule skinners. Anyway. So one of the things that God periodically does is wraps us upside the head to get our attention. Because once he has our attention, then he can teach us. Now, one of the things that we see over and over and over again in the case studies in the Bible is there's a pattern. Things are really bad. God comes down and sends a deliverer. Brings Israel to some place and sets them up and then blesses their socks off. Israel gets fat. Israel gets complacent. And then what Israel does is it loses interest in learning from God 
and it turns to other things. Those other things very often being pagan gods. Because the attractive thing about a pagan god is pagan gods let you do stuff that God says you shouldn't. And all of us have these desires to do things that we know God says we shouldn't. So if I can go over to another god that says this is okay, that's going to be very attractive. And furthermore, if times are good, the vats are full of wine, the granaries are full of grain, the flocks are healthy in the field, and there's no enemies around, if things are really good, then my attention can drift and I can go over to these other gods which offer me the promise of something. Various things with various pagan gods, but there's some promise that they offer that God typically says, no, you're not supposed to do that. So as we get fat and as we get prosperous, what we do is we tend to turn our attention, and that's what's happening in the United States today. We have been fat, we have been prosperous, we have been blessed by God, all of which is wonderful, but the downside is our attention wanders. And so when I say that the gospel is answering a question that lots of people are not asking, that's what I'm talking about. Having had their attention not focused on scrabbling for survival, survival is pretty much assured. We've solved human survival. We've got great medicine. We've got great food production. We've got great toys. We've got all sorts of great stuff in the world. And so our attention then tends to wander away from what God wants us to do and to all of these distractions. So, what does God do when that happens? He sends a whole bunch of hairy Midianites and they take over the Jezreel Valley and they steal all your corn. And if you still don't pay attention, then the next thing we have is the Assyrians come down, wipe you out, and send you off into the world and scatter you. Still not paying attention. Ooh, Babylonians, here we go. And a whole bunch of hairy Babylonians come through and take you off to Babylon until he's got your attention. That's the way it works. And that's what I would describe as the two-by-four method of training a mule. You've got to get his attention first. And God periodically does that. Now, the wise mule will figure out what God wants without having to experience the two-by-four. God gives us all sorts of examples of people who walk with God and don't need to be slapped upside the head. And I'm suggesting that that's really the way you want to go. It's really a lot more pleasant. But God will get your attention in whatever way he needs to. Notice how I said that, in whatever way he needs to. So the people that God has his hand on, he's going to get your attention. My suggestion to you is you avoid the two-by-four and you do it God's way. So, learning is work. It's hard. Any subject that I've ever studied usually makes me work hard and stretch and is unpleasant and so forth. And it's the same thing with learning about God. It's work. You gotta do the work in order to learn about what God wants you to do. And again, when you are in a comfortable situation with lots of distractions, you know, like one of these, 
phones and so forth and you can look at it all the time and you can be up to date with everything there the tendency is I can learn later right now I've got this interesting cat video on my screen the Bible will always be there the cat video may not be just saying and so there's this attractive nuisance that we have and the more advanced we get the more attractive the nuisances become and the more they draw us away coming back to the United States I keep saying to you the gospel answers a question that lots of people are not asking because they're very comfortable they've got distractions in their life they've got entertainment in their life they are able to get along just fine without discomfort I will suggest one of the things that's going on right now is God is reaching out with the two by four and notice what's happened to our economy notice what's happened to all of the stuff that we were really proud of in the United States look what happened in three months I will suggest that that's God standing there waving the two by four I'm just suggesting and the question becomes are you guys going to pay attention or are we going to have to get serious here so this does present some opportunities and of course the opportunities are you do have people that you know that are hurting right now lots of people aren't you know we have high-speed internet and people will be able to work from home and all that kind of stuff so there's lots of people that are still very comfortable but there are going to be some people that are not and that's an opportunity because if you have people that are uncomfortable they are in a position where they may be amenable to learning take advantage of that if you run across such people the other thing is talk to your friends and all the people that you have contact and influence over and suggest to them it's time people turned away from the things that have distracted them, the things that have led them away from God and start coming back. Anybody ever have a mother that chased him with a spoon or a switch? Is that not done anymore? I can remember my mother would pick up the spatula and just go like this and I knew that if I didn't straighten up being swatted with the spatula by my mother was not such a bad thing but if I didn't follow through then then the next threat was wait till dad gets home and my point is I sort of get the feeling that right now God is standing there with a two by four you know just waving it gently and sort of like don't make me come down there you've all heard the threats as parents so talk to your friends talk to people that are your acquaintances tell them that this gospel thing is not a recent invention it goes clear back to the first parasha in Genesis it's been there all the time there's a reason that the Israelites are expecting a Messiah there's a reason that the Jews today are expecting a Messiah it's all over the scripture they've got the timing wrong and I understand that but we think it's first and second coming they think it's going to all be one thing but they're still lovers of God 
And this kind of thing is all over the scriptures. But in order to see it, you got to study. You got to learn. You can't just sit on your blessed assurance waiting for somebody to feed it to you. You got to dig it out. <laughs>